Hello and welcome to episode 14 of LUFC Fan Zone Podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode, we'll be talking to an ex-Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. We're delighted to announce that today's episode is sponsored by autograph specialist Legendary Signings. Legendary Signings were founded by Leeds United season ticket holders and they are the suppliers of hand-signed football memorabilia. After collecting signatures at Ellen Road as youngsters, the brand has taken the step up to now host professional signing sessions of players, past and present. Their items include signed memorabilia from former Leeds United legends such as Jack Charlton, Norman Hunter and Alan Clark. And their most recent signing session was with Leeds' League One hero, Jermaine Beckford. Hosting signing sessions ensures legendary signings acquire the highest quality signatures possible from their clients. And they also offer framing options for their items. You can find all of their signed items at www.legendarysignings.co.uk on their eBay, Etsy or Amazon stores where photo proof and certificate of authenticities are also available. But back to the show. And all of our episodes can be found on our LUFC Fans on YouTube channel as well as Spotify and Apple Podcast. And last episode, we were with former Leeds United striker and Division 1 winner Lee Chapman who spoke to us about scoring the winner away at Bournemouth to clinch a second division title making the step up to the top flight and becoming champions of England just two years after, and how he celebrated live on television with Gary McAllister, David Batty and Eric Cantona. However, this week with a former Legion United head coach and someone who joined the club at the start of the 2014-15 season. He was the first of six head coaches under owner Massimo Cellino and he arrived at Leeds with his most recent role as head coach, coming up Forest Green Rovers in the non-league, making him relatively unknown to most Legion United fans. Prior to his arrival in England, Cellino had a reputation of losing patience with his managers extremely quickly. And after lasting just 70 days at Ellen Road and taking charge of just four championship matches, he was never seen at the club again. That's right. This week, we're delighted to be joined by former Leeds United head coach, David Hockaday. How are you, David? Yep, I'm good, thanks. Good man. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's been over six years since your time at Ellen Road now. And since your departure from the club, it's changed quite a bit both on and off the pitch. But do you still follow Leeds at all? Absolutely. Yeah, it's the first uh, result I, I look for. Um, I, I've always followed Leeds anyway. Um, getting the chance to uh, be the head coach there was a was a dream appointment. So however short my tenure was, um, I made a hell of a lot of friends. Uh, grew to love the place even more, and uh, I'm still stopped in the street now by die-hard Leeds fans, and uh, we we chat about the past and the present and the future. Um, so, no, it, it, it's it, it's a big part of my life. Always has been, always will be. And during them six years after you've left Leeds, you've had a couple more head coach roles, but you're now currently the head of football at South Gloucestershire and Stroud College. How's that going for you? Yeah, really well, because when, when I finished playing, so I played for 20 years and then in 1995 I finished and I, I established, and this is the thing I'm most proud of in my in my life, uh, my career, um, I established the very first football academy ever in this country in 1995 at, at a place not too far from where I am now. It was a place called Sirencester and that became very, very popular and it was the flagship for, for all of the uh, football colleges now. So... Because I also have an academic background, um, you know, I'd, I'd got my O levels and my my four A levels, and I'd been accepted by five uh, universities before I signed pro at uh, Blackpool, who were then like a Premiership Championship club. Um, so I was always going to do this again at some time in my career, and a, a position came up with Championship quality facilities. You would laugh at the facilities I've got; they are 
immaculate. Um, so I came here. So what I'm doing is I'm I'm running. I'm head of football. Um, so I run a university teams. I run um, the college teams, and we are. I've had seven lads sign pro, which from a college team shouldn't happen, but I've had seven lads sign pro. Um, we're winning national trophies. We're winning. We're, we're doing really, really, really well. So I'm coaching every day. So I'm like a, a pig in muck, as they say. <laughs> but obviously, you're here to talk about your time at Leeds. And when you arrived at Ellen Road, it was just your second job in management, with your first coming in the conference with Forest Green Rovers, which ended at the start of the 2013-14 season, one year before you became Leeds manager. During that time, did you have any approaches from any other clubs, or was it just Leeds? Um, no, there were other, I mean, what I'd done is I'd, I'd been to, I, my, my history was basically youth. And so I, I'd done the um, the youth academy at Sirencester, the fir- very first. Howard Wilkinson came with the Premier League, said, listen, we love what you're doing. We're going to do this in, in, and take it into the pro game. So I'm very proud of that. So I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened, but I certainly speeded up the process. Um, and then I went back into youth coaching with Watford eventually after six incredible years at, at Sirencester Football Academy, um, did really well at Watford, then got in, taken into the first team environment with uh, with Eddie Boothroyd. Uh, we were promoted, ironically, we beat Leeds United in the playoff <laughs> final at the Millennium. Some ironic <laughs> smiles on your faces, I can see. So we beat, <laughs> went at the Premier League. And then, so I'd, 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 I'd been predominantly youth-based and, and even when I play my teams even when I've been a senior coach or manager my my teams have always been very very young so I believe in the in in young players um so I I I went to Forest Green the average age of my team um was usually about 21 and that was my first dabble uh, as as the head coach or the manager whatever you want to call me Uh, and I I wanted to have it on my CV Uh, I am predominantly more into development than I am into results but I wanted to do it after the forest green, um, which which I loved and had a great experience and found out a lot about myself, um, there were a few other um, opportunities that came, but nothing really, nothing really satisfied me. I went round and I, I studied. You know, Steve McLaren was brilliant, and every other week for a number of months, I went and watched him coach and Paul Simpson as his assistant. They were incredibly generous of spirit. Uh, Mark Cooper at Swindon uh, with Luke Williams as his coach. I, you know, the, the other week I would go there. So I was just going to lots of meetings, watching lots of clubs, watching lots of games and just just getting a feel for what I wanted to, to do next. And then out the blue, I got a call um, and I ended up becoming head coach of Leeds, which was an absolute, absolute dream come true. So um, obviously to me, there's no way I was going to turn that down. At the end of the 2013-14 season, Brian McDermott was the manager of Leeds United and he was sacked at the end of May just after the season had finished virtually straight away. And despite not being in management for almost a year, you became the bookmaker's favourites to take over Leeds. When did he first hear of Leeds' interest and how did he find out about the possibility of becoming Leeds United's head coach? Well, so we'll, we'll go through this chronologically uh, and I've told this story a number of times to Leeds fans, but... I'm literally in my garden. It's a nice sunny day. It's the close season. Um, I've had a couple of offers. I'm thinking, but nothing's really floating my boat. And then I get a call from a an, from a guy in Italian voice saying, "I have my sponsor, uh, who owns a football club in England. He's heard good things about you. Would you like to go and have a chat with him?" Now, 
there's lots of wind-ups in football, as you can probably guess. Um, and yet I knew that this wasn't a wind-up. It just had a ring of authenticity about it, however bizarre it was. So at the time, it was either Orient or Leeds. So I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, I'll phone you tomorrow. Um, but, you know, you, you, you're saying you'd be interested. I said, yeah, I would. So I'm straight away looking at all of the players at Leeds, all the players at uh, Orient. I'm doing my homework. Um, not talking to anybody because obviously I, I don't know which club it is and I didn't, it could have been something else. Then they get a phone call the next day. I said, right, tomorrow can you get on a, a train, uh, get yourself to London, go down here, right here, up here, left here, and you'll come to a hotel called such and such, be there at such and such a time. So um, again, I didn't know which team it was. Um, so I, I got on the train, got the, followed the directions, came here, and then the voice appeared um they said hiya david i'm such and such um let's just sit down and we'll wait for my sponsor to appear so i sat down had a had a glass of water um and then eventually in walks uh chilino so straight away i'm getting rid of all my orient notes in my head and i'm i'm fast tracking on the Leeds united notes and he came in he was very personable uh very likable got on really well with him we sat down he was smoking and and drinking, we had the salt and pepper pots. We had the the ashtray out in the open, and there was four people there um, chatting away. And we were there for about four hours; could have been longer. But after two hours, uh, Chilino, who was sitting next to me, said, and he was just asking questions and talking about football, very relaxed. And then he just leaned back and said, "David, I like you." And I said, well, thank you. I said, listen, I'm enjoying talking about football. And I'm thinking, as soon as he came in, I'm thinking, well, realistically, it might be an under-23s coach and maybe getting involved with the first team because I've got a reputation for being good at set players as well. So maybe being a set-piece uh, expert and, and helping out with my knowledge of the of the championship. Um, maybe, if I was lucky... Um, it might be that he wanted me to be like an assistant to a foreign manager coming over. I knew of his track record with managers anyway, or head coaches, as he would call them. Um, so th th that's where I was sort of putting myself. And he said, uh, I like you. I went, yeah, thanks. I'm enjoying this. He went, would you like to be my head coach? So like, I always remember the, the voice on my right nearly fell over. He leaned back on his chair, nearly fell over because I think he was shocked. And and I sort of sat back and I said, do you know what you're, what you're asking me? So the voice then said, is it too much for you? Is it too much for you? Can you not do it? I said, no, no, I can do it. But, and I'm looking at Chilino, um, the president, as I, as I called him, uh, and I said, do you know what you're doing? He said, go on, explain yourself. I said, well, in football, I'm actually quite well known and I, I like to think I've got a good reputation as a good coach. I said, but the fans won't have heard of me. The media might have heard little bits of me, but won't really know me. You know, you're setting yourself up for a lot of questions and potentially a lot of pressure. He said, can you handle that? I said, yeah, I can handle it because I'm a coach and, I, and I'll be out on the grass and I'll be coaching the players and that's what I do. So it'll be more off the field shenanigans that you know you, you might want to be concerned about. He said, nope, I can handle that, not a problem. So we shook hands and he said, I'll, I'll be back in touch. Didn't promise me it, but he said he was thinking about it. So um, I've, uh, I've gone away. The next day, um, from nowhere, I've come in in the betting. I am not a gambler. I did not put any bets on. So somebody, I I have to guess, in that meeting um, thought, David Hockney has got a good chance. I'm going to put some money on. So straight away, the voice calls me in a couple of days and said, you've come in from nowhere on the betting. 
president's not happy, it's all off. I went, well, listen, fine. I hadn't, I hadn't got anything, so I hadn't, didn't have anything to lose. I said, fine, I haven't done anything wrong, but if that's how he feels, not a problem. And then I heard that he'd had a chat with um, Eamon Dolan, God rest his soul, a guy at Reading who had a good reputation as a good coach. And then nothing was happening, so um, I was away with my wife down in Cornwall, the voice on the phone again, uh, president wants to meet you again. Manchester, cloak and dagger stuff. So um, I, I drove this time to Manchester, parked up, went to a hotel where I'd been told to go. Um, still nice sunny day. Somebody from reception says, can you pick up the phone over there in a cubicle? So I went over to the cubicle, picked it up, said go out the um, corridor, turn left, turn right, go out, go along 400 yards. There's another hotel there, knockout. So I've done all of this. Um, and then Chilino's there waving me as if I'm his best mate. Um, and I did get on well with him, to be fair. Went over there, chatted for a couple of hours. He said, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, I'm not doing anything. Why? He said, get yourself to Ellen Road. I'm announcing it. So I went, <laughs> okay. So um, I, I went back to Manchester, got me stuff, went to Leeds United. I'm thinking, is this, is this going to happen? Uh, and I went there. And before you guys even say it, I became the first watermelon, the... Analogy being that uh, you don't really know what you're going to get until you you crack it open. So he, he was taking a gamble, if that's the right word, on a coach uh, to become the head coach of of Leeds United, and, and that, in a nutshell, you know, or in a watermelon, is how it uh, it all came about. <laughs> and I presume them them meetings with Chilena were the, obviously the first time you'd met Massimo. And yeah. what were your first impressions of him? And what did you actually know about him before you met him? Because he hadn't really been in England for very long, but he did have a reputation for being extremely impatient with some of his head coaches. Uh, well, that's an understatement. I mean, I knew I knew what I was going into. So I looked at his record with with his head coach appointments and the number of head coach appointments. So listen, I, I knew all of that. He, he is very personable. He does have a charisma. It's not like he doesn't lack knowledge. I mean, people say a little knowledge is, you know, can be dangerous. He, he did know his football. There was almost like a frustrated coach there, and yet that wasn't his skill set. Um, so, but I, I found him very engaging, and, and basically the deal was I picked the team, and I always picked the team. He never, ever stepped over that line because I would have had to have walked, and I think he knew that. Um, he wanted somebody to come in that wasn't in a powerful position. So I didn't have a job, so I wasn't coming in like Bielsa, you know, like other, like Mourinho would or, you know, Pochettino, where I could sort of demand things. He wanted somebody that he could have a, a strong influence over. I get that. I wasn't daft. Um, I, I asked about recruitment um, and he said, well, you can recommend players, but at the end of the day, I'll have the final say because it's my money. I went, okay, but, you know, I, I do want to have an input in that. The yeses and the noes, but the final say was his. Um, so I knew what I was getting into to a degree. I found, you know, I, I had some great conversations with him. You know, I met him three times before, and they, they went on for hours and hours, and, and I enjoyed them. I have to be honest, I enjoyed them. And and you know, I talked to a few people without mentioning Leeds United. I said, listen, I've been given a chance with a, an incredible club, and they all said to a, to a person, "What have you got to lose? Go for it, go for it." So I'm I'm very confident in my coaching ability. Um, and every manager coach will tell you you're only as good as your players. So that's where I knew the challenge would be. And then when I when I went to Leeds and then finally got introduced to the players, who again all said David who, um, 
dealing with the players and coaching the players, um, I, I'm comfortable with that. Um, the players that he was going to get in, I knew that was going to be uh, the challenge. Yeah, and like you said, you were obviously appointed the head coach of Leeds United on the 19th of June 2014, which was just two weeks after McDermott had left the club. And to unveil you as the new boss, like you said, Massimo Cellino and yourself spoke to the media and there were lots of highlights, shall we say, from that first interview, like you said, about the watermelons, which we'll move on to a bit later because someone submitted a question about that. But one thing you said was that I have to earn the fans' respect and equally that they had to earn yours. When you said that, how easily do you think it would have been for you to gain the instant respect from the fans? Because obviously, like you said, many people were questioning your background because you hadn't managed in the Football League before. Listen, it was going to be tough. This was going to um, be a real test for me. But, you know, you either step up to the test or you, or you walk away. Um, this was a test I, I was up for. So, you know, respect in every department you earn. Nobody gives you respect and, and you have to earn that respect. Whether people like me or not, that's a, that's a personal thing. But as regards my, my work, then I, you know, the, the main thing was I was saying, I'm going to put out a team that Leeds United fans could hopefully identify with. They're going to work hard. They're going to be honest above anything else. And if that was going to be good enough for the Leeds United fans and they, they saw what I was trying to do, then that's what I was, that's what I was basically saying there. And it was just, and it's the same with the players. You know, I've got to, earn, I had to earn their respect, but they had to earn my respect uh, because, you know, if, if they don't train hard, they don't play. You know, we always say that the manager only writes the names down. It's the form in training and in matches that tells him what names to write down. So um, so I, I was very, very up for being willing and able to, to earn the respect of anybody that I needed to earn the respect of. So I, I was up for it. Following that press conference, the next job was to meet the Leeds players. And what can you remember about that first day at Thorpe Arch and introducing yourself to the squad? Well, it, it was it was chaotic. It was the most um, dysfunctional group of, of players I'd had because you know I was I was literally finding things out as I went. So I was introduced to the players. I could see the players going, you know, who are you? Probably a few swear words in there as well. But who are you? So it was and and, and it's bizarre that you said about the earning because I remember we got them into the war room as I would call it, where you do your match analysis and your team meetings. And I had a very basic um, flip chart behind me and I said, earn it. That's all I'd written, earn it. So I was thinking about all these Churchillian speeches that you can do. Um, so the, the players came in, sat down. I said, guys, I'm David Hockaday. A lot of you are going to say, David who? Some of you may or may not have heard of me. I said, but we're here now. I hear that there's no food here. I hear there's lots of things that aren't happening here. Um I've got to earn your respect. I've got to earn mine. So bang, I just banged the board. I said, let's go out. And that basically is what I said. So it was in, it was out, got them on the grass, got the balls out. Um, I'm very much about uh, being a technical coach. So I had three days where we did loads of technique, loads of passing, loads of, you know, and the boys will tell you um, what we did. I found out pretty soon that, because all the players straight after the senior players, and there was about eight of them, came to see me and said, Listen, Gaffer, um, we've been told by Chilino that that we, we have to go, that we're going. So if they'd have gone, I'd have I'd have had an under eighteen team playing in the championship. 
I was told straight away that the guy who went to Fulham, the Scottish guy, I forgot his name now, that he wasn't even going to be available. So as soon as he was fit, I think he went for 11 million. Ross that he was, Yeah, he was going to go. He wasn't available. Um, and that in three days' time, um, we were going to go to Italy, um, up into the Dolomites to do some training. So I'm going, this could be interesting, taking an under-18 group. So I literally got the Steve Warnocks, the Steve Morrisons, um, Chuck Norris, Dave Norris, um, Luke Murphy, Rudy, um, Pierce, the captain, you know, these these sorts of guys. And I pulled them in. I said, listen, guys, you're going to have to do me a favour now. You're going to have to trust me. Um, you're not going to be, you know, if the, if the football club want you to leave, that's not going to happen until we get back. We're going to go away to the Dolomites for two weeks. I need you to come and be professional as you can. I recognise I need to earn your respect. And likewise, I said, so I need you to come. And all I can promise is you will have the best pre-season you've ever had. And I looked them in the eye. And to be fair to them, and they went, okay, we'll go with that. Did they have much choice? Yeah, they did. But I think they sort of saw that I was being honest. Um, and so uh, I, I contacted... Um, Young Cook, who was obviously Bournemouth now, but he he was just been away with the England under seventeens. I gave him a phone call. I said, "You're coming with me." Um, I had Sam Byram. Um, I was going to take Alex Mort, but he he returned with an ankle injury. So I took I took a lot of young lads that I knew a lot about. I'd asked a lot of people a lot of questions by then, and we went out with I think twenty four players. The president said, "Why twenty four? I said, "Well, we need two twenty twos. You're going to gauge maybe." Uh, 10 to 15% of the workforce are going to be injured or ill. So, you know, I need to do some uh, some 11 v 11 stuff. So I had to argue that, but it made sense. So we did it. And then we we flew out. So I'd had a couple of days, two or three days at, uh, at the training ground at Thorpe Arch. And then bang, we were on a plane. It was like a whirlwind romance. And we were up in the Dolomites. Um, oh, we've got games organised. We've got games organised. We had one game organised. Uh, against the local team. I remember winning that 16-0, so decent start, but the opposition weren't great, to be fair, but I just made damn sure in the second half, because I played two 11s, uh, the second half, their target was to beat the score of the first first half, and I think it was two eight two eight nils. Um, but then there was some Romanian team who were going to play, apparently, but that was never going to happen. And a few Leeds fans had come over, so we, uh, we put on a, an 11v11 in the match kits, the two match kits, the home and away match kits, uh, for the few fans that had come over just to show them something. And it was a 3-2 a or 2-1, very competitive. Um, and I'd like to think that that will be amongst one of the best, if not the best pre-seasons that any of those players had had. It was, what you know, whatever else I'm good or not so good at, I believe I'm a good coach. And it was, it, I, was I was happy with the way the, the pre-season went. And like you said, Leeds won that game 16-0, which saw Matt Smith finishing the game with six goals and Marco Silvestri switching sides to go in net for the opposition to stop that 17th goal going in, which was obviously Salinio's unlucky number. What was it about number 17 and that Salinio didn't like? Um, I didn't know. that I know, I know purple. I know he doesn't like purple. Right. So purple. I didn't know at the time 17. Um, I know it now before you said it there. but So I didn't put him in there to stop the 17th. It had been 17, 18, it wouldn't have bothered me. For me, it was about the results. So um, I, I don't know when I changed Sylvester, but it made sense to get him some some goalkeeping practice because I needed to see him. 
because you know I haven't seen anything of him. So I think I managed that um, match pretty well. I have no um, idea of the foundation of why 17 or why purple um, would be. I think purple is a bit like um, Marmite with people. You love it or you hate it. I don't know. I think Prince uh, used to love purple, purple rain. Um, but 17 and purple, don't know. And after that first match ended 16-0, the next opponents failed to turn up, which resulted in Leeds playing against each other in a friendly, which wasn't ideal, obviously. But what sort of preparation did Leeds have to go in for that upcoming championship season? Got there on the 19th. Um, we did the presentation with Sky uh, and, and everything sort of flying about and all this information, meeting people, names coming at me, but it's at Ellen Road. And then um, when it had all died down, I said to Chilino, I said, right, you know, what's the pre-season programme? And he said, well, we're going away in three weeks' time for two weeks to the to the Dolomites. Got it all sorted out. You love Italy, the food, and you're bragging about this country, and it's beautiful. And he was spot on. And I said, what about pre-season fixtures? And he looked at me, and he went, and he looked to, to other people saying, what have we got? We had no, we had no fixtures. So I turned up on June the 19th and obviously by the second week in July, we, we need to be starting playing games. Now, the good thing for me is I've been in the game many, many years um, and I had Leeds United to play. So um, I'm thinking, OK, we need to play against, um, we need to get a nice little local derby. So I think before we left, did we play um, Geisley? I think we played Geisley. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. we played Mansfield Town where I was just chopping and changing things. Uh, we played Paul Cook's Chesterfield, who were a good footballing team. We went and played Mark Cooper's Swindon Town. Then we played one of the Dundee teams at home. So given the fact that I literally... So in, and this is the truth, probably in less than three hours on that afternoon of the 19th, I organised the best pre-season fixture list I could. I think I did pretty well in three hours. Um, trying to just get some games, having to think about who I knew and the types of teams that would help us prepare as best we could for um, the upcoming season. It wasn't ideal, it wasn't perfect, but it was never going to be. It, you either moan about it or you get on with it. So we got on with it and we managed to get a few games. Um, the, the, real, the real thing that uh, hamstrung me to a great degree was the fact that our match analysis. I had one guy there, but we had we had literally had no match analysis. So whereas you, you hear about Bielsa and you see the the depth of knowledge that he has on the opposition and the work he does, we were literally going into the few games blind. And I mean blind. I was having to phone up managers as the head coach of Leeds saying, How did they play? What did they do? What formation? And and they couldn't believe it. So they were feeling for me, but it was what it was. So I was having to do the best that I could. We had no information on Millwall, our first game, uh, or, or Brighton, or you know. So we were really good. But it, it, to be fair, that's what that's what it is when you're a youth coach. Um, so it wasn't like unfamiliar ground for me, but it was we were we were we were underprepared um, to the nth degree. But again, it, it was what it was. So we we did what we did. We looked after ourselves. And. During that pre-season, there was a lot of transfer activity at Leeds, and before the end of and before the end of the summer transfer window, the club had brought in ten new permanent players, with six of them coming over from Italy. And Leeds also sold Ross McCormack, like you said, who was by far Leeds' most influential player from the season before you arrived. How did the player recruitment work when you were in charge? Because there were the Italians that joined the club, which fans could tell had been 
brought by Cellino and his knowledge of Italy. But there are also players like Nicky Jose and Billy Sharp who didn't really seem like Cellino signings. So, so I I looked at the squad. I, I you know I talked to the the president every day, numerous times, um, trying to get inside his head. Um, what he did say the day that I left, um, I went to the office. I think he thought I was going to give him a good hiding, but I just went. I said, "Listen, thanks for the opportunity. Are you sure you know what you're doing?" But he apologised and he said, and this is the gospel truth. He said he'd underestimated the quality of the championship and he'd overestimated the quality of the Italian championship, Serie B. So he basically brought in Italians thinking they were going to be good enough. And let's be honest, they weren't. So, yeah, all of the Italians that he brought over, he would show me clips, hand on heart. I pretty much said no to all of them, but he brought them over anyway. Um, I said, listen, I need a leader. I need a warrior. Um, so um, I'd contacted Cardiff City about Mark Hudson. He was available for nothing. Mark Hudson for nothing. He didn't get him in. So I said, okay, there's a lad called Cathcart at Stoke. He might cost a few million. He ended up going to Watford and he's been there ever since. I said, and there's a guy at Celtic called Van Dyke. You might get him for a few million on my life. So those were my three leaders that I wanted in that order, to be perfectly honest. He went and got Bellucci or whatever his name was, who thought he was a hard case and he wasn't. So you can... You could sense my frustration. Uh, we needed some squad players, some impact players. So I knew Nicky Ajosi. I'd seen him at Man United. I'd, I'd met him and seen him train at uh, at Swindon Town. So I got Nicky in. Uh, I got Billy Sharp in for nothing. Um, I wanted a holding midfield player because I knew that he, he wanted Rudy to go. So I talked to Liverpool. So I could have got uh, Connor Cody for nothing, for nothing from Liverpool, young lad. Um, I talked to a lad called Air, one of their to um, technical director so he was coming but he said no he thought he was too young um, he said go and get me a young striker that you know will get goals so there's a lad called Andre Gray at Luton I said go and get him he said no he wants too much money I went you're having a laugh you can get him for pretty much nothing he went and got Andalucci or whatever his name was another uh, Antonucci whatever. so I uh, I also wanted um, Joe. Oh, what's his name? He's now at uh, is he at Bolton now? But he was at um, he was at Blackburn, and then he went to to Rangers. The the strike I really liked him, Joe Garner. Oh yeah, so said, yeah, yeah. Um, so good. Listen, I, I I know a player. I I gave him some great players to go and get, and he, he I I got Nicky Ajosi in, and I got Billy Sharp in. I'd have loved to have got Mark Hudson. Or Cathcart or Van Dyke in. Um, I would have loved to have got Connor Cordian as my holding midfield player. Um, he was having none of it. So, you know, there was the frustration that I got the lad from Arsenal as second choice keeper. Is it Taylor? Very, Stuart very good. Yeah. He, he was going to be a great uh, mentor, if you like, for the goalkeeper, Silvestri. So, um, I did my best, guys, but I just could not get him to accept that. I probably knew the championship, the English championship, better than he and his scouts or uh, recruitment guys did. And then, obviously, the first game of the season was Millwall away. And although, like we said, 10 new players had joined Leeds in that chance window, there were only a couple of new faces for that trip to the den. And like you said, at Leeds today, obviously, Marcelo Bielsa is the head coach and he has his own way of analysing the opponents and 
building up to the game and how they're going to play against different formations and different teams. But what sort of background knowledge did you have against Millwall? Because like you said, you didn't have much and you were ringing round teams. None. Um, I, you know, Ian Holloway was the manager, who I respect massively. Uh, he'd had a number of games, but they'd all been behind closed doors. Nobody was saying anything. I literally went into that game blind. So I'd have, I'd, I didn't know their formation. Um, I knew I knew the squad of players. Obviously, that was out there, but I didn't know what formation he was playing, how he was going to play. But I know he'd, he'd transformed himself um, from a real um, high tempo uh, manager uh, into a, a passing team. So we went into, the, into that game blind. Um, and you know, obviously, Millwall is a, is a hostile place anyway. Um, we made a mistake to go a goal down. Made a couple of changes. Uh, I think Cookie was playing. And we had some chances, and we had chances to to get something out of the game. I'm not saying we played great. Um, I don't think it was a great a great game from either team. Um, but at one nil, we had chances um, to uh, to score to equalise, and then I think Cookie gave away a penalty right towards the end, which was very harsh. And we ended up losing two nil. Um, the president afterwards wasn't didn't seem phased at all. He he, he quite liked what we were trying to do. Um, there was no negativity. I'm sort of scratching my head because I'm really angry. I hate losing, even though afterwards I'll go and shake hands and do whatever. But I, I was learning about the players literally from day to day. I'd seen them in action now for the first time. Um, and then, you know, all the way back on the coach, I'm flipping, changing things and doing things and, and preparing for the for the next game. And like you said, obviously, that first match was a 2-0 defeat. However, the next game in the championship was at Ellen Road against one of the, one of the promotion favourites, Middlesbrough. What can you remember about that game and walking out at Ellen Road in front of 24,000 Leeds fans and, of course, that winner from Billy Sharp? Um, it, it's a, it is a dream come true. Um, you know, you, you, I, I get goosebumps now just thinking about it because whatever else happens, whatever has happened, whatever else will happen in my career... I have led a team out at Elland Road and, and I cannot tell you how proud that makes me. Um, and you can probably hear my voice quivering. So nobody can take that away from me. The proudest day of my life in, in football. So uh, I think in between that, had we had a, a cup game and we'd beaten... Accrington Stanley, yeah. Whatever. So we, we went into it. Um, it was quite bizarre because from then on, it seemed that every game was was played on Sky TV. So I was in uh, <laughs> under the limelight and in the this magnifying glass, and every twitch, every nuance, everything was just being was being filmed. And we went out there; they were the favourites to to win the league. It was a very it was a typical local derby, if you want to call it a local derby. And I'm from Billingham, which is just north of the Tees from Middlesbrough. Um, so Middlesbrough sort of my were the team that my dad used to take me to if I wasn't playing on a Saturday. Um, so I was taking Leeds out against arguably my local team. Um, and it was just a tight affair. And they had a goal disallowed for an overhead kick and where they nearly kicked Steve Warnock's uh, head off. And then, you know, Billy Sharp had a couple of chances, took one. And I think a draw would have been fair. But if either team deserved to win it, it would have been us. So we got... We got the that bit of quality from Billy on the day, um, and yeah, listen, that was just a great day. And it was what 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 I've learned is, you know, being a head coach, being a manager, 
you need more people. I was allowed to take one person with me. I took Junior Lewis, who's a real calming influence. He's an ex-player. He's a good man. He was a good buffer between me and the players. The players would like him. I liked him. People would like him. But that's all I could take. And you, you need, you need a, a team around you to prepare you for the media. I mean, I, I spent more time dealing with the media, dealing with you guys, and you've got your jobs to do. I get that. Than actually, you know, doing the game on a, on a Saturday. And, and that, you know, I, what I did learn is afterwards, you know, my thing is coaching. Talking to you guys, yeah, I can talk. I think I'm quite a well-spoken lad. I'm not daft, but that that's not me. I, I don't I don't like that sort of thing. I just want to coach, get back, think about the next game. That that that's me as a football person. Um, but listen, it was just a brilliant, brilliant day. You know, to 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 lead Leeds out against Middlesbrough, to be on Sky to win the game. It you know that I will never ever ever forget every second of that day that will stay with me till till the day I die and the following two matches in the championship were against Brighton Ellen Road followed by a trip to Watford both of which resulted in defeats and despite them being only the third and fourth league matches of the season it was reported that Salinia was already losing his patience with the results even though Leeds finished that forward loss at Watford with nine men with Belusky giving away a penalty and getting the first of the red cards on the hour mark when the game was one apiece Reports claim that Salinia was ready to fire you after the final whistle at Vicarage Road. However, he had a sudden change of heart and resisted. Was that the case? And if so, what do you think changed his mind? Yeah, so we, we went into the Brighton game um, and Hoopier was the manager. And uh, again, I, I, again, I talked to the people who played them before, so I had a rough idea of what they were going to do. They came. I thought they were excellent on the night. Um we ended up going man for man, played played a really brave formation against them. We scored, or they scored the first goal from our goal kick. Silvestri, I was forever trying to work on his distribution, but he gave a bad, he, he, he was supposed to kick it to the left. He kicked it almost 90 degrees away to the right. They've come at us and he's got beaten at his near post because he was still, the, the, the bad kick was still in his head. So it was a poor goal to concede. Second half, we dominated. We didn't have loads of chances. I, I remember Tongi had a great chance. Uh, and we were the better team in the second half. We certainly deserved to get something out of the game. And then very, very late on, my wall jumped, which it was told not to jump. And a mishit shot went under the wall and trickled in. So they ended up beating us 2-0. Um, a draw would have been fair, um, but we, we, we lost it in the detail. Um, then we went to Watford. I'm getting players given to me, so Bellucci turns up. We've got one or two people injured and, and niggles. I play him. Um, we played a diamond that day. Uh, Watford couldn't handle it. And, you know, if you talk to any people there, if you talk to any of the players there, they, they'd made some subs. They were ranting and raving. Watford again were one of the favourites. And at one all, I think Billy Sharp had whipped a cro- cross and it was a, a deflected goal, but we were well worth the one all and we were dominating possession. I'm not saying we were going to go and win the game comfortably, but we were dominant. And then they've kicked a long ball from the keeper. Bellucci, for some bizarre reason, has tried to volley it first time a little clever as he saw a pass. He gets intercepted. He chases back, gives the referee the opportunity to send him off. Penalty, 2-1, we're down to 10 men. Um, and our backs are up against it. Now, the big thing there was the Pozos were there 
or the Pozzos, however you want to pronounce it, Italians. So Cellino was embarrassed after the game. I get a phone call um, saying Cellino's not happy, Cellino's not this. Um, there's a few things said. I've contacted the um, the LMA and the PFA, said, what do I do about this? And they said, listen, you're best just getting on the course and getting back. Um, so I got back, had a chat with Cellino in the morning, and he said, listen, I'm not happy with this. I said, okay, please take a deep breath. At one all, how did you feel? And to be fair, when he took a deep breath, he went, you were playing a diamond. We were in control. It looked like we were going to win the game. I said, and then what happened? He said, and to be fair, we said, the player I brought to you made a crazy mistake, gave away a penalty, got sent off. We're not going to win from there. 2-1 down with 10 men. He said, you're right. Nice, easy game coming up. Bradford away in the cup. Uh, Bradford City away in the cup. Sky are going to be there. So happy days. So um, I tried to mix it up a little bit, give some of the younger guys a game. We had, again, injuries. We obviously had suspensions. Uh, we went out um, and um, Luke Murphy, bless him, um, got yellow carded for what should have been a red card. I'm getting lads warming up saying he's lost the, You know, he's lost it. He's not in the game. Let's get him off before it happens. But within a few minutes, another silly challenge. And I love Luke Murphy. He's a great lad just on the night. And he was desperate to do well for me. And, and I was I was gutted for him and I, I was disappointed with him, but I was gutted for him. And so within 20 minutes, we're down to 10 men. So we shuffle the pack a little bit and we were hanging on, we're hanging on. Um, my lads are giving everything, my 10 men. And then, as I recall it, the 86th minute, we go and score a goal. I think it was Matt Smith, we score a goal. And if you ask me if I could change two things, one, it would be the recruitment. But two, it would have been to get on Charlie quicker because I would have gone to a back five and I put Steve, I know exactly what I wanted to do, Steve Warnock in. But as we're getting warmed up, as I'm trying to get things clear in my mind, bang, somebody doesn't do a job. You know, when you're defending a corner, um, you can't afford then to go zone. You've got to go man for man. And one of my lads, I'm not going to out him, was on the post. He needed to come out and pick up somebody on the edge of the box. Ball comes in, half cleared, somebody hits it, slight deflection, it goes in top rack. The whole game changed. If we could have seen that corner, if I could have got um, Charlie Taylor on, I honestly believe um, I'd have been manager at Leeds United for a lot longer. I didn't. Um, they then get a second. We then go up the other end. I put Pollyon on and we hit the post. So we could have even have taken it to extra time, but with 10 men, I don't know. Um, the fans were brilliant because they know I'd been, I'd given it my best. The players undoubtedly had, had bled for the jersey with 10 men for 70 plus minutes. Um, and if, you know, if you're going to lose, I suppose that's how you're going to lose down to 10 men, giving everything you've got um, and just getting caught out uh, on the detail. But I was incredibly proud of my, of my players last night. I was incredibly proud of all the efforts they gave me because it can't have been easy for the players. And I've been a player, you know, when you know that the, the president isn't, um, you know, wants to get rid of you if you're a senior player because you're on too much money or whatever, or you've got a personality, a strong personality, or he's bringing in players that you know are not as good as the players that the president wants to get rid of. So it was it was a really tough time for the players. Uh, me, I knew exactly what I was going into. Don't any to feel anybody to feel sorry for me. I loved every second of it. And as I say, when I was told the next day by Graham Bean that 
the president um, was getting rid of me. I went to Leeds, had a chat with the president. He said, no, I, I can't protect you. But to be fair, um, I've underrated the champ- English Championship and I've overrated Sari B. Um, we shook hands and, and I left. And just to rewind to that Watford match, because obviously we're planning to go on to talk about the Bradford game and everything afterwards soon. By that Watford match, the majority of the Italians had arrived in Leeds with, like you said, Belusky, uh, Silvestri, Antonucci and Bianchi all starting the game. But what were they all like together in the changing room? Because amongst the fans, they felt like there was a real divide within the squad yeah. between the domestic players and the Italian players. Was that yeah. the case? Yeah, there was. And um, again, it's it's their culture. So in Italy, certainly the way Cellino um, operated, he saw himself as the manager. And so after every training session, the Italian players, this is what they did in Italy, they'd contact uh, the chairman and, and uh, or the president and talk to him about the training session and what had gone on. And they talked to him as if he was the manager. I was head coach. Now, to be fair, Cellino never said, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to do. I'll give you a, a for instance, we, um, and I've, I've already mentioned it previously about Silvestri, good shot stopper, great shot stopper, um, but poor as, a, as an outfield player, poor as the 11th man. When he came back to him, he, he, he didn't have good technique with the ball at his feet. So one day I talked to, to Neil Sullivan, Sully, the goalkeeping coach, great coach, good lad, good pro. I said, listen, we need to do something about this. So we literally took, after training, we took Silvestri into another field so nobody could see him. And it's a place where you, you bang the ball back to the keeper in various areas of the penalty area. And then you've got loads of goals set out on the pitch and he's got to hit certain goals, um, literally goals, and put the ball in, in the net. So it's like a chip to your right back, a chip to your left back, a drive right down the middle to your striker or whatever. So we, we did that. So I finished training. Somebody comes to me, uh, one of the minions, and says, um, Chilino wants to talk to you. He's not happy. I went, OK, <laughs> again. So uh, I call him and he said, uh, come to come to Elland Road. So I get in my car, go from Thorpe Ash to Elland Road, which is not a... Uh, just down the road, um, go there. And he said, what are you doing? Um, embarrassing my keeper. That's the first time I recognised that the players, the Italian players, after training, never mind games, would report back to the president. So I said, uh, Mr. President, what do you think of Silvestri receiving the ball in open play? He said, it's not good. It's got to get better. I said, so what we did was, and I told him exactly what he did. He said, that's fine. Off you go. <laughs> so, and, and so, you know, Every time he pulled me, I told him what I was doing and why I was doing it. It always made sense because I'm not daft. And he would say, that's fine, off you go. And that must have happened. He never shouted at me, he never berated me, tried to embarrass me in front of people. He always got me in the office. Um, he was very calm. I think he knew that I was a thinker. Um, but that that instance told me that the Italians were reporting back to um, the president. The English players knew that. There was a definite click in there. You know, I I tried to do things in training to get the 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 bodies to. Mer- I made sure that there wasn't like the Italians versus the English in five sides. And you know, if the players think back, I did everything I could to try and get the the parties to to merge. But some of them had a really poor attitude. You know, Bellucci uh, was a real um, issue. Um, thought he was a lot better than he was. Um, so th- there was a a, a schism. Uh, a faction, a, a clique, whatever you want to call it, 
Um, and, and listen, it didn't help. It's one of the many things that, that didn't help. But at the end of the day, I was the head coach. I had to deal with it. Um, I was dealing with it as best I could. But at the end of the day, um, I needed him to get in better players than he did. Um, and I was doing the best. I, I feel I was doing the best with, with what I had. And you just mentioned about Belusky. That Watford match was his first game for Leeds. And like you also mentioned, he was a hugely controversial figure at Leeds, like you said, amongst yourself and the fans as well. But just to elaborate on what you said, what was he actually like as he was believed to be an an influential figure with Cellino and amongst the Italian players? And from that interview with The Guardian you did a year or two ago, you can tell that he isn't your biggest fan. Um, well, I haven't read that because I, I, I try not to read other stuff. I, I know what I know. I'll talk to the people that I respect and, and I'll go with that. Um, I was shown clips of a number of centre-halves while I was over in Italy and Bellucci was one of them and he didn't. I didn't get it. He, he wasn't quick. Um, he wasn't particularly good in the X. He wasn't that tall. Um, he gave away a lot of fouls um, and I said no at the time. He, he did bring in a big blonde haired lad who just didn't want to be there. And I told Chilina, who was then over in Italy, I said, This guy don't want to be here. And you've signed him. So he came and watched the training the next day and he said, You're right, he's gone. Um, but then, totally out of the blue, Bellucci arrives, unbeknown to me, literally turns up. Um, so I'm okay. So, you know, what do you do? Um, I, I called the chairman, I said, What's going on? He said, You know, the president, um, listen, I've signed him, you know, deal with this. Um, and yeah, he, he, he had. In my opinion, um, a poor attitude. Um, I didn't see him as being totally professional, but he, he was a he was a loose cannon, and as it showed in his first game, he, he wasn't up to the fitness levels um, that I would expect. Um, the the decision he made to to try and do some sort of silly pass rather than just clear his lines and head the ball um, proved that, and then he goes away and makes it worse by giving a penalty. The lad's still got to beat my keeper. Um, so yeah, um, he, and then he obviously didn't play against, uh, Bradford and then I was gone anyway. Um, I don't know how long he survived, but I think, um, I think it was shown that he wasn't, uh, the right player to play in the English championship for Leeds United. And when you were at the club, Massimo Cellino was repeatedly making headlines for all the wrong reasons. And there were reports of him ringing you in the middle of the night and, like you said, bringing you to Ellen Road just to have a quick two-minute chat, even though it's a good 45 minutes away from Four Parks, like you said. But what was he really like? Because fans knew that he was obviously a loose cannon, but they didn't really know to what extent. Yeah, he, he was passionate. Um, he wanted his team to do well. He wanted his players to do well. A few times I might not have played his players, so he would have been unhappy, he would have been unhappy with me, but that's not... That wasn't my issue. I knew the clock was ticking. I needed to get some results with the resources I had, which were limited. Um, yeah, he would phone me up and, and initially I would pick up the phone calls late at night, but in the end I thought this is stupid because it's going to affect me and how I perform. So I would um, I would stop picking up the phone calls uh, late at night. So that probably went down with a, a lead balloon. But there was a frustration. He, 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 he sees himself as a football guy. I actually like him as a person still. If you know, if he came to the room now, I'd go over and shake his hand. I know we got COVID, but you know what I mean. Um, metaphorically, I would go over and shake his hand <laughs> and I'd chat with him and get on with him. Um, 
the hardest thing I I had at Leeds was the was the managing up. That was that was a big challenge for me. I'd never been in that situation before, and to be then given you know a guy like him who was you know lots of frustrations, lots of passion, lots of knowledge. To be fair, lots of questions, and I get all that, and and I like that. So there were lots of things I liked about him, and there were some things that obviously um, hampered or hindered um, me doing my job. Um, but at the end of the day, it was what it was, and and I was learning literally day by day and trying to pick my way through it as best I can because the, the, the end game was I was having to get my lads to be as fit and as organised um, and as prepared for the games as best I could to, to go and win win football matches, which um, you know I didn't do as well as, as, as I needed to. And as well as all the phone calls and calling you Ellen Rowan and things like that, like you said, Whilst he was in charge at the club, he did do some extremely damaging things to the football club. And he took some dramatic measures to reduce the costs at Leeds, such as making the players bring in their own packed lunches into training because he closed the canteen and draining the swimming pool at Four Parch and things like that, which isn't really at the standard of what a championship club, club should be. So what sort of impact did that have on you and the side? Because obviously the facilities that should have been there weren't really there. Yeah, I mean, draining the swimming pool, I mean, you know, it, it's like a leisure centre. It it doesn't need to be like a leisure centre. You don't need a 25-metre swimming pool, or however however big it is, for a, for a football club. I get the fact that you can do some recovery work in there, non-weight-bearing stuff, but, you know, you can do that in small areas. So whoever had designed that had designed a leisure club. So the, the swimming pool didn't bother me. Closing down the steams and the sauna didn't bother me because that can dehydrate players to the nth degree that's not good so getting rid of the leisure leisure facilities part of it i i wouldn't have a pro- i didn't have a problem with the fact that you know I, I was trying to educate him all the time as to how things were done in england um you know he wanted to train in the afternoon i think because he was a late getter up and he wanted to come and watch the training but i said no this is how we do it in this country and even though we play on a on a Saturday at three o'clock in, in general, I get the fact that training at three o'clock every day would get people's uh, body cycles more used to it. I've always been of that thought process. You know, people organise the training around their family and getting kids to school and and this is how it is and this is how we're comfortable. You know, but afterwards, you know, we, we give the players proper food, nor let them go out. And I said, no, if you let them do that, they'll go out and they'll buy McDonald's and they'll buy, you know, they'll buy, stuff that's not good for them you know it's up to us and you you can charge them you know they have to pay for their food to a degree i know it's subsidized but so you've got to put it on so i'm trying to get that through to him all the time uh, as we're as we're getting on so yeah it, and yet then he goes and spends god knows how much on taking them away for two weeks to italy to to show italy off which is a beautiful country and the people were gorgeous and the food was magnificent and we had two fantastic weeks there so it was his idiosyncrasies that he would save um, pennies on something and spend tens of thousands of pounds um, on others. And all the time I was trying to educate him on to how, how it was done in England. And, and, and he listened. And some of the things he, he, he adapted to, um, some quicker than others. Um, and all of these things, while I'm trying to find out about the opposition, because we had no match analysis, trying to get players in and yet he's bringing all of these Italian-based players in. And, you know, so it was it was chaotic. It was beautiful. It was brilliant. It was ugly. It was everything and more in between. And I wouldn't have changed a, a second of it. And just going back to the football itself, like you said, 
obviously after that Watford match, it was a short trip to Bradford in the League Cup, which was just four days after Massimo Cellino had publicly stated that you had his full backing. And like you said, Leeds went 1-0 up thanks to Matt Smith, despite playing with 10 men after Luke Murphy got sent off. However, less than five minutes later, Bradford turned it around and the game finished 2-1, meaning that Leeds had lost the four of the first six matches that season. And unfortunately, that game happened to be our last. And less than 24 hours after the full-time whistle, it was announced that your time at Leeds had come to an end. How and when did you find out that your time at Ellen Road was over? Um, I was with my wife uh, on the Thursday morning. Uh, we had Bolton on the Saturday and then we had an international break. I was praying. I mean, Bolton were bottom of the league. I don't even know if they had any points. I was very, very confident we were going to beat them. Um, and then I had an international break where I could have got the Italian-based players. I could have worked on their fitness because none of them were good enough to play for, for Italy. Um, and um, I could have done a lot of team shape, teamwork. We weren't going to have a break. We were going to work bloody hard. So I was praying that I'd be given the Saturday, work through the um, the two-week break, the international break, and then we would be, that would be my mini pre-season, if you like, and then I was confident that we would go and we would be fiercely competitive. But on the Thursday morning, I got a call from Graham Beam, uh, Bean that um, Chilino wanted to get rid of me, I said, where is he now? He said, I don't think I should tell him. I said, Graham, where is he? I'm not going to do anything daft. He told me, I went to Ellen Road, knocked on the door. He opened it. I think he was going to, I think he had a heart attack. But I said, listen, I'm not here to do anything. Are you sure you know what you're doing? I want to thank you. So we had a we had a, a long chat. And then in the end, you know, we we shook hands and and I left. And, and, and as I do, and I know you guys don't like it, I just then disappeared over the horizon and I've left it. You know, I left it a few years before I, I then started talking to, to guys such as yourselves and and letting you know of my my experiences at Leeds when I don't think any any damage will be will be done. Yeah, and in the end you're at Leeds for just seventy days despite signing a two year contract. So what does it feel like to be forced to leave the club after such a short period of time when you obviously couldn't get your methods onto the pitch like you probably would have wanted to? Yeah, I was frustrated because, um, you know, the coaching is is what I believe I'm good at. Um, and I know I'm good at recruitment. I know I, I know good players. So I was frustrated that I wasn't, he didn't listen to my uh, recommendations. Um, and then having to deal with the Italian-based players and the click. And listen, you know, I can go on and on. At the end of the day, I won two games out of six. I knew what I was getting into. I knew the clock was ticking. I was desperate to get to the first uh, international break where I could then have a mini pre-season and really pull the squad together and have a few meetings and, and really get us better organised. Um, and I didn't get to that. You know, I was I was a couple of days away um, from from getting there. And if I'd have made those two days and played Bolton and won, and I know the lads said some really nice things and, and won the game against Bolton 1-0, uh, and then they had the break, and Neil took over, who I who I get on really well with, and I, you know he's doing a great job now uh, in the women's football. Um, so you know it, I didn't quite get to where I wanted to get to. So it, it was one of frustration, uh, of pride, because I know that I conducted myself in the proper manner professionally. I did the best that I could. Could I have done better? You can always do better. But at the time, I felt I'd, I'd, I'd given a good account of myself with all of the things that were going on so it was just one of frustration that I hadn't really been given as good a 
a, a chance um, mainly because of the because of the signings. So frustration. And since your departure from Leeds, you've had a couple of stints continuing your coaching career at Coventry and uh, Kidderminster. However, in 2016, like we mentioned at the start, you joined uh, South Gloucester and Stroud College. What made you take that approach rather than continuing your coaching career at a professional club? So I got to the stage, so I went to Coventry and the brief was um, I was sort of a consultant there. I was going to help Steve Presley and Neil McFarlane keep Coventry City up. And I get on really well with those two guys. They're brilliant guys. And they, they brought me into the fold, accepted me. Um, first two games at Coventry, um, I think it was um, Scunthorpe, who'd had a great cup run, we drew with. We then away to Sheffield United, drew 2-2 at Sheffield United. And then they go and sack Steve Presley. And I'm like, going to the chief exec, what are you doing? He says, well, I think I need to be seen to be doing something. I said, so who have you got lined up? He said, I haven't got anybody lined up. I was crazy. So then I took the game, the next game with Neil McFarlane against MK Dons, who got promoted with the best team in the league, and we won. So I'm thinking, okay, Neil and I are now going to get the gig till the end of the season. And then Tony Mowbray appears. Tony tells me he wants me for the next season. As soon as the season's over and he gets a new contract, he says, I've changed my mind. So then I go and help a mate out at Kidderminster Harriers. I'm told to get rid of all the staff. Uh, or a lot of the, the, the bigger players, so I do that. I've, I get a few lads in, but I can't play them until January. January the 1st comes. He says, listen, I can't I, I can't do all this, I can't do that, you're going to have to go. So it was just like I'd lost control, even though I felt I was doing as good a job as I could. Um, I'd, I'd lost control of not myself, but of the situation. So I wanted to do something that I could take control of. Um, this initially, I was going to set up my own football academy in Swindon, which is where I'm probably best known because I had eight very successful years there with with Lou Macari and uh, Ozzy Ardiles as my managers. Um, but then this facility came up. So Bristol is a huge city. Um, the facility that I'm at, called the Wise Campus, is the best college facility in the country, bar none. When I came here, um, we were we were poor and I'm being kind. We are now the best football college academy in the country, I would say, bar none. Doesn't mean we're going to win everything every year, but we're going to be there or thereabouts. I've had seven lads already sign at pro clubs. Some of them are worth millions. I'm really proud of what I'm doing. Um, my wife recognises me again. I'm a, I'm a nicer person. I'm more laid back. I'm happy. I'm coaching every day. I control what I do. My standards are incredibly high. They haven't got down. Hopefully you can hear it in my voice. I am more passionate now about football than I've ever been. I have had approaches from um, pro clubs where I'd be interested in this, this, this and this. Nothing has, has floated my boat. I'm not looking for anything. I'm really happy here. You never say never. So if Liverpool come and say, do you want to be whatever, then you know who knows. Um but I'm very, very happy here. I'm helping young guys get an education both on and off the field of play. We are pushing the boundaries. We're winning pretty much everything that we go in for. The main thing is I'm, I'm creating pathways for young guys. And as I say, I've got seven lads off um, and some of them are very, very decent. I've got three or four lads now who are more than, more than good enough to have professional football careers. So that's what I'm concentrating myself on now. But to go back to your question, I'm now back in control of my life. I'm now back in control of my career. I'm very, very happy at this place. They've been brilliant with me 
and for me um and i'm in a good place and i'm and i'm happy i'm really really happy with where i am and what i'm doing what the future holds i don't know but at the moment you know we're ripping up trees where we are and i'm not here just to watch the grass grow i'm going to i'm going to leave a legacy here until such time as i as i leave which obviously in time you leave somewhere for whatever reason This second section of the show is where our followers get to ask their questions to our guest by commenting on our LUFC fans on Instagram post. Each episode, we select four questions which are commented and put them forward to our guest. This week's first question comes from Owen, who asks, During your time at Leeds, did you ever feel a lack of respect from any of the players because of your relatively unknown status before your arrival at Thorpe Arch? Um, I've, I've already said about, I went in that first day, the players came in, they'd obviously heard who was going to be it, some of the senior lads would have probably asked about the young lads. You don't. You just take it on. You just bring it on. So it was basically, I'm going to earn your respect. You need to earn my respect. Let's go. And it was literally that quick. I went out. I've had some incredible testimonials from the senior players. Um, if you talk to those senior players, I'm pretty confident that they will say whatever else I was or I wasn't, that I'm I'm a decent coach. So, um did I feel that? No, I felt I earned their respect. In fact, when we were over at Leeds, they came, the, the senior pros and came over and said, listen, to be honest, Gaffer, we hadn't heard about you. We didn't know anything about you, um, but we're having you. You're giving it everything you've got. You've been honest with us. You're working us hard. We're having a great time over here. Brilliant pre-season. So we just wanted you to know that you've got our backing. Um, and, and again, I've got goosebumps on the back of my neck and I've, I've got a lump in my throat because... For the senior pros to do that, that takes a lot of bravery. They didn't have to do that. I respected them and still do respect all of those guys massively. Um, from the guys coming over from Italy, um, it would be a no. I'm not going to um, duck away from the question. The English players, yeah, uh, from some of the Italian-based players, they came with a chip on the shoulder, with an attitude. And to be fair, I didn't have much chance to... Uh, to show them that I actually knew what I was doing. And the second question, well, I say question comes from Mike, and he simply replied with an emoji of a watermelon, which I presume is referring to what Cellino said in your first ever press conference at Leeds, when he said, coaches are like watermelons. You only know how good it is when you open them. What did you think when he used that statement in your very first press conference? And what was it like being referred to as a watermelon before you'd even taken charge of a match? Um, well, I suppose it's better than being called a turnip or any other vegetables <laughs> or fruit. I don't know. I, I quite get, listen, I quite get the analogy, you know, Italy, watermelons, you cut it open, you see what you've got. So, listen, I get it. Did I have any control over that? No. What you guys make of it, whether it makes people laugh or not, doesn't really bother me. At the end of the day, he was given uh, an English coach, an untested English coach, an, op- an incredible opportunity. That's how I see it. How other people see it, I've got no control over that at all. But so, yeah. Next up is Kian, who asks, "Do you have any regrets from your time at Leeds?" Um, again, the recruitment. I wish he'd listened to me. Um, and in an actual match, I wish I'd got Charlie Taylor on first, put Steve Warnock in, and made and gone a, a back five. If I could have done that quicker, then. Who knows, we could have lasted out that game, got through to the next round. If we'd have done that with 10 men, with that far side, um, 
fully packed with Leeds United fans. And 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 listen, I have to say this, and I really mean this. Everywhere I go, I can be at the top of Ben Nevis and I'll come across a Leeds United fan. I knew they were a big club. I didn't realise how flipping big Leeds United is. It is an institution. It's a worldwide institution. I go there and to be honest, not one person, and I'm sure there are knockers out there, but every person, every Leeds fan has been absolutely brilliant with me. I think they saw what I was trying to do. I, I think they feel how handicapped I was. And every single one of them been absolutely brilliant and a massive, massive respect to uh, to everybody at Leeds United for the support they gave me and, and, to be fair, continue to give me. And this week's last question comes from Luke, who asks, although your time at the club might have been a little shorter than you would have liked, what was your best memory from being in charge at Leeds United? Well, it was a lot shorter than I um, wanted, Luke, but taking my team out at Leeds, beating Middlesbrough, the favourites to go up on Sky, doesn't get any better. I will take that to the grave with me. Nobody, nobody can take that away from me. And I am incredibly proud of that. And to to take a team out in front of Leeds United fans, wow, that'll never leave me. And that ends today's episode. Thank you to everyone for sending your questions and thank you so much for your time, David. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. We'll be back in two weeks with our next guest. Stay tuned for the post over on our LUFC Fan Zone Instagram story next week. Thanks for listening.